Hi, how are you today? I hope you're having a fantastic day so far. My name is Bailey Sarian and today is Monday, which means it's murder, mystery, and makeup Monday. Theme song if you're new. Yeah, it happened. Hi, how's it going? So if you're new here, hi, every Monday I sit down and I talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my noggin and I do my makeup at the same time. If you're interested in true crime and you like makeup, I would highly suggest you hit that subscribe button. Okay, kitty cats, we have a long story today and a lot of the times it's really difficult to find information about a case, but with this story, you see, there's too much information out there. There's just too much and it was like, oh, crap. Grab a snack for sure. It's a long one. There are two people that I get requested to do a murder mystery makeup about the most. One, Ted Bundy, and two, Jeffrey Dahmer, you know? And I get it. Yeah, they're very popular serial killers. I have to give the people what they want and you guys have been asking for one of these. So I thought, okay, I'll do it for you. So today I'm going to be talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. So let's jump right into it. I will just stop rambling and get right into it. Okay, Jeff, Jeffrey, Mr. Dahmer. Let's go back, back to the beginning. So Jeffrey was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I would definitely say, and maybe you can agree, at least if you're from the United States, when you hear Milwaukee, I'm sorry, but we think of Jeffrey Dahmer. A lot of us do, I'm sorry. That's where he was born, May 21st, 1960. It has been claimed that Jeff was deprived of attention as an infant, but other sources suggest that the family was super close and gave lots of love and attention to Jeff and that they were like this perfect little family. But when you kind of look up just how the family was growing up for Jeffrey. It seems like each family member had something else to say. Like the mom and the dad both apparently had different experiences. They thought it was, everything was great, fine and dandy. The kids are like, this was a very toxic household. They were fighting all the time. Now Jeff would say that his mother was very tense. She was greedy. She constantly wanted attention and was always in arguments with her husband. When he entered first grade, his mother, her name is Joyce, she wasn't doing well. She spent a lot of her time in bed and she was struggling with depression. She also was feeling very weak and tired all the time. She didn't seem to want to give any type of attention towards her kids, which is sad. And then Jeff's father, he spent a lot of time away from home. He was attending university so he could get a degree in chemistry. He was a really smart cookie. So he wasn't around a lot because he was trying to get a degree so he could get a, a good job and take care of the family. And honestly, just, you know how it goes. If you're going to school and a parent and all, it's just a lot. Now it's said when Jeff's dad was home, his wife demanded constant attention from him. He really didn't get to spend a lot of time with his children. Jeff recalled his early years of family life as being extremely tense because he would see his mother and father constantly arguing with one another. And then sadly on one occasion, Joyce, the mom, she attempted suicide, she survived, but neither parent really devoted much time to their 
their son. Now, Jeff was described as being a happy, energetic child up until the age of four. And I guess at the age of four, he had to go in and have surgery to correct a double hernia. It said after that surgery is when he seemed to change. He just wasn't the same. He wasn't as happy. He seemed to kind of just be meh. At elementary school, he was both quiet and pretty timid. On his first grade report card, one teacher described Jeffrey as a reserved child. This teacher did note that she felt like he was being neglected at home, but like nothing really came from it. It was just kind of noted in the paperwork. So from an early age, Mr. Dahmer, he had an interest in dead animals. I'm sorry, dead animals. I don't know why I said it like that. Now, friends would say that initially he would collect large insects like dragonflies and butterflies, and he would place these inside of jars. And then he upgraded to collecting roadkill off the streets. So a big jump, we went from butterflies, dragonflies to roadkill. But Jeffrey would say, you know, he was a very curious cat, okay? Roadkill was an easy way to kind of, they're already dead, you know? So he's like, I'm just gonna take these dead animals, take them back to the house, there was a little, a woodshed in the backyard. He would dismember the animals. His reason was that he want, he was curious as to like what was inside of these animals. What did it look like? He wanted to know. So he would dissect animals. He would put them in mason jars and he would either leave them in the tool shed or he would just leave them in the wooded area in their backyard. So he'd go back there. Sometimes he would dismember animals back there so nobody would see him obviously and sometimes he would just go there to kind of leave the stuff he knew he couldn't leave in the tool shed but god that probably had a stink right all i can think about like how bad he probably smelled which is mean is it no because it's probably true he probably stunk sir you stink you smell like roadkill you know like Now, Jeff would tell his friends that he was just curious how all of these animals fit together. Oh, I am so sorry. I forgot to add a disclaimer. Disclaimer, this uh, includes just a lot of awful things. And right now I'm about to talk about a dog. So if any of this bothers you or makes you uncomfortable, please exit out of the video. There will always be next week. Today's episode includes just everything, rape, murder, sexual assault, just all bad and animals as well. So I so greatly apologize. So there was one occasion that at least we know of, there was a dog that got hit by a car and it was left on the side of the street. So Jeff was like, hey, cool, like, a dog, I'm gonna go get it. So he goes and he gets the dog. He brings it back with him to the house. Now he goes back into the, like the tool shed area or his backyard. He doesn't bring it into his actual like family house. And at this time, like his parents weren't home. So he could get away with these things, I guess, without getting caught. Anyway, so he takes this, this dog, he cuts the head off of the dog. And then he decides to nail the dog's body to a tree. He then took the dog's skull. He cleaned it up. Okay, so he got all of the the dog hair off and stuff. He took it out to the wooded area behind his home. He put the skull on a a wooden cross, kind of through the skull. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know what he was doing, you guys. He was just doing it. Jeez. So in 1966, the family ended up moving to Doylestown, Ohio. And during this time, Joyce, Jeff's mom, she uh, was pregnant with their second child and she gave 
birth to a baby boy, and she allowed Jeffrey to pick out the name of his new brother. So he picked the name David. And then in 1968, the family moved to Bath, Ohio. Two years later, over a family dinner, they were eating chicken. Jeff asked his father what would happen if the bones of the chicken were to be placed in bleach solution. And at this time, his father was, he was kind of worried for his son because he wasn't very social. He didn't seem to have many friends. He could tell his son was just awkward and weird. But when Jeff asked this question, his father said that he was delighted at the initiative displayed by his son towards what he believed to be scientific curiosity. He willingly showed his son how to safely bleach and later preserve animal bones. His dad, Jeff's dad, was thinking, you know, father-son bonding time. I'm showing my son how to do what I do essentially, like, or what I know best because he was a chemist. And he thought uh, Jeff was just showing interest in his profession, which he was essentially. So during high school, many of his classmates said that he would bring beer or hard liquor to school. He would smuggle it inside the lining of his jacket and then he would hide it in his locker. Jeff would drink before, during, and then sometimes even after school. And this all started when he was 14 years old. Now, when Jeff reached puberty, that's when it said that he discovered that he was gay. Um, he didn't tell his parents about this because I mean, they didn't even have the best relationship. Why would he tell his parents? But it said that he did engage in a brief relationship with another boy. Jeff said that's when he began to sexually fantasize about dominating and controlling a submissive male partner. And he just started, you know, teenage boys. I hear that they just are like really horny, which is gross. I shouldn't say that, but like, that's what I hear. And that's where he was at in life. By 1977, Jeff, his grades, uh, they were declining. Okay, he wasn't doing well. And he said it was because of the alcohol. Well, no shit. So during this time, also his parents, their relationship was just getting worse and they were going to try counseling, marriage counseling to try and save their marriage because, you know, it wasn't looking too good for them. Marriage counseling didn't work for them and they decided to just get a divorce. Jeff's dad thought it'd be best if he moved out of the home. And then in May of 1978, Jeff graduated from high school and shortly after, uh, Joyce, she was awarded uh, custody of her younger son. She ended up vacating the family residence or the family home and she moved in with family members of hers. She left Jeff by himself at the family home. So he was living there by himself for a minute, which not good. I mean, he's 18. What do you think if you leave an 18 year old at the home by himself, what do you think he's gonna do? You think he's gonna be productive? Yeah? No. Jeff had just turned 18 in that time, like he was considered legally an adult. So he's living on his own in the family home. On June 18th, 1978, Jeff was driving home and he noticed a hitchhiker. It was just four days shy of his 19th birthday. He sees this hitchhiker. This hitchhiker is a young man and he's kind of cute. So Jeff pulls over and asks, hey, do you want to come over to my place? I have a few beers. We could just hang out, like no big deal. 
like I got the house to myself. So Jeff and the hitchhiker, they go back to his house. They were drinking, they were listening to music and he felt like he like had a new friend, right? I guess this hitchhiker finally got to a point where he's like, okay, I'm ready to go home now. Like I'm just ready to leave, I wanna leave. This upset Jeffrey and I know it, it upset him because instead of just like letting him go home, instead Jeffrey was like, you know what? I'm gonna grab this 10 pound dumbbell and I'm just gonna hit him in the head with it so he can't leave. Solid plan. He grabs a 10 pound dumbbell and he hits this poor man twice from behind in the head while he was, this victim was sitting in a chair. After he hit him, he then strangled the poor man until he he died. Once Jeffrey knew that this victim was dead, he then removed all of his clothing. And then he said that he stood over the victim's body and masturbated over his, his body. According to Jeff, this was like his first time killing somebody. He was feeling all sorts of ways, excited, aroused. The next day, Jeff had this dead body in his house and he's like, I gotta do something with this. He takes the body down to his basement and that's where he takes apart the whole body, like like just takes it up, like what? What are you doing? He just takes it all apart. And then Jeff grabs a shovel, dig a grave in his backyard because he needs somewhere to put the remains. So he puts the remains in his own backyard. Several weeks went by. Jeff decided to dig up the body, cut it up somewhere. I don't I don't know what's going through his mind. I really don't. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's uncomfortable. And that's why I'm laughing. So he digs up the remains. He takes a knife, okay? He cuts the flesh from the bones. And then remember his dad showed him how to dissolve flesh from bones so he can preserve the bones. Well, he used that technique. He got some acid. He soaks the body in this acid to try and get all of the flesh and the meat and everything off of the bones. He wants to like keep them or something. Takes the acid solution. He flushes it down the toilet. Then Jeff crushes up the bones. He then scatters them in the wooded area behind the family home. Also, this is a side note, just really quickly. I'm not going to be naming any of the victims. I'm just going to be referring to them as a victim. Um, reason being is because family members of the victims have sued different people who have written books or made movies and stuff and like named the victims. They sued because they didn't give permission their family members name to be used to protect myself and then also the victim. I feel like Never mind, I won't get into it. It's not me trying to be disrespectful by any means. I just don't want to upset anybody. So that is, um, was Jeffrey's first kill. And he was excited about it. It really got him going. He was like, oh, hell yeah, killing? I think I like this, you know, I wanna try it again. Six weeks go by, Jeff's father has found a new love. You know, he's got a new girl and actually a new fiance, I'm sorry. And they end up going by the old house to see like how Jeff is doing to go check in with him. And that's where they discovered that Jeff was living alone. The whole time he thought like he was living with his mom, he had no idea that he was just living on his own. His father thought it'd be best if Jeffrey went to college, um, did something productive with himself and his life. And he actually offered to pay for his schooling. He ended up attending Ohio State University. While attending the university, he received a whopping G GPA score of 
four five. How do you achieve that? I'm not sure. Jeffrey's father had paid for his schooling in advance, okay? Jeffrey thought it'd be best if he dropped out of university and he only attended for three months. Waste of money. Jeffrey's father, again, is trying to, to help his son, trying to find him some kind of purpose in life, right? So he's telling Jeffrey, you should definitely enlist in the US Army. Jeffrey agrees and he ends up enlisting in the US Army. And he actually trained as a medical specialist in San Antonio, Texas. And then in July, 1979, he was stationed in West Germany, where he served as a combat medic. How'd he get that job, you know, like? According to published reports in his first year of service, he was a quote, average or slightly above average soldier, end quote. Two soldiers would later attest to having been raped by Jeffrey while in the army. One stated in 2010, so years and years later, that Jeff had repeatedly raped him over a 17 month period while they were both stationed in Germany, while another soldier believed that Jeff had drugged and raped him in 1979. In March of 1981, Jeff was deemed unsuitable for military service and was discharged from the army because of his alcohol abuse. He was sent to South Carolina for debriefing and he also was provided with the plane ticket to travel anywhere in the country. So, you know, if you could go anywhere in the country, like where would you go? Oh my gosh, you know? Jeffrey was like, well, I know I can't go home because if I have to tell my dad that I failed at everything. Like, I don't want to do that. He's like, I'm going to Florida, Miami beach. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. So he goes down to Florida. He doesn't tell his dad. He moves to Florida and he actually found work at a local restaurant and he rented a room in a nearby motel. Now, Jeffrey would spend most of his income on alcohol. And sadly, he got evicted from the motel that he was living at for not paying. Once he got kicked out, he just kind of really was left with nowhere to go. And he was feeling very defeated and he ends up calling up his his dad and asking if he could come back to Ohio. He moves in with his father and um, his new stepmother. So of course, like any parent does, they give you chores, okay? So they're like, we have to make sure that Jeffrey is like staying busy or whatever. He can't be just a freeloader in my home. So they gave him lots of different chores to do around the home. They heavily pushed him to go find a job. So he would spend um, a lot of his days out and about just looking for work. And then when he was home, he would just follow the rules. He was doing the chores, trying his best, I guess. Now at this time, he was still drinking a ton. He he would be arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct and he was fined 60 bucks and given a suspended 10-day jail sentence. His father couldn't help him when it came to his drinking. Jeffrey's father had enough. He was like, I am done with you. You're drinking a lot. His bedroom floor was just covered with empty bottles and he tells Jeffrey, you know what? You're gonna go live with your grandmother in, in a West Alice, Wisconsin. So yeah, his dad's like, go live with your grandmother, okay? Because I just can't take you anymore. Do you blame him? 
No. Well, now his grandmother was the only family member who showed any love and affection towards Jeffrey. He loved his grandma. And when he went to go live with her, because he did, it did help him change things up a bit and he seemed a little bit more happier. He would attend church with his grandma. He would help around the house on things like she couldn't really do. And he even found a job at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center fitting, but it seemed like he was doing better. And he was able to keep that job for 10 months, but then he got laid off. Then he remained unemployed for two years. By late 1985, he had begun to visit local gay bathhouses. When going to these bathhouses, he would have sex with different men working there. And he would later say that he would become really frustrated at his partners when he was having sex with them because they would be moving around, they would be talking too much, and he didn't like it. He just wanted them to shut up. So instead of just maybe telling them like, hey, can you stop talking? He laced their drinks with crushed sleeping pills that he would sneak in there. And this would knock his victims out. They would pass out. And then while they were passed out, Jeffrey would rape them while they were asleep. He did this about 12 different times. And then eventually the owners found out that he was drugging the workers and they revoked his membership, banned him from coming. I don't know why they didn't call the police. Oh, because it's a, it's a gay bathhouse. Oh. I answered my own question. But they still should have called the police or something, right? Instead of being upset about this, Jeffrey was like, you know what? This is my opportunity to just do it on my own. I don't need that bathhouse. I could just rent a hotel room, do it on my own terms. So he did. On November 20th, 1987, Jeff met a 25 year old man at a bar and he asked if he wanted to return with him to his hotel and stay with him, hang out, have some drinks. According to Jeffrey, he had absolutely 100% no intention of murdering this man, okay? But he did intend to just drug and rape him as he lay unconscious, but not murder him. I was just gonna drug and rape him, like, come on. Following morning though, Jeffrey wakes up, and when he wakes up, he sees that the victim, or the man that he brought home the night before, he was laying beneath him on the bed. His chest was crushed in and it was black and blue with bruises. Blood was coming out of the corner of his mouth and Jeffrey's fists and one forearm were covered in bruises. Jeff would say that he had absolutely no memory of killing um, this person and later told investigators way later that he just, quote, could not believe that this had happened. End quote. I just don't know what happened, man. I was just like hanging out. I was just gonna drug and, and rape him. And then I woke up and he was dead. So weird. Someone must've came in, you know? Just own up to it, you dick. Okay, tell the truth. I know you're lying. You remember. You remember. Pepperidge Farm remembers. When Jeff wakes up and he sees this victim, he's like, oh shit. I definitely have to get rid of the body. He um, decides to purchase a large suitcase and he stuffs the body into this suitcase. He ends up taking the body or the suitcase back to his grandmother's house, just leaves the suitcase unopened. He just leaves it there for about a week. 
So once the week goes by, that's when he decides to open up the suitcase and dismember the body. So he severed the head, the arms, the legs, the torso, well, the legs from the torso, and then he cuts the flesh from the bones of the body and he cuts the flesh into a bunch of different pieces. He places the flesh into um, garbage bags and then wrapped the bones in paper where he then used a sledgehammer to crush down the bones. So he wraps it in paper and you know, so it doesn't like go everywhere, the bones. He's doing this in his grandma's basement, by the way. Poor grandma, she has no idea. Okay, so then he disposed all of the remains except for the head. And he put all of the remains in the trash. Two weeks later, yeah, two weeks, baby. He was letting everything marinate, I guess. I don't know. Jeff takes the head of the victim, wants to preserve the skull. He really wants the skull. So he's like, I'm gonna do what my dad taught me, right? To clean off the meat and stuff from the bones so he could preserve the bones. He takes the head, he boils some water and he puts in a mixture of Soil-X and bleach. And Soil-X is like a cleaning solution. It's pretty powerful. And he's doing this in an effort to retain the skull. Now, unfortunately for Jeff, the bleach made the skull way too brittle and it it just completely fell apart. He was super bombed, all that hard work, and he lost the one thing he really wanted, right? So he threw it away. He's determined though to get another one. Jeffrey decides he wants another victim. He's found his passion in life and he's very passionate about killing people. He began to actively seek victims. Most of them he would meet in a bar uh, or close to gay bars. And then he would ask them to come back to his place. He would drug them. And then once they were passed out, he would have sexual relations with this person. He would rape them. Let me call it what it is. He would rape them. Also, he would kill them by strangulation. Two months later, this one is really, it's all disturbing, but this one, it's just whatever. Okay, look, two months later, Jeff, comes across or meets a 14 year old Native American sex worker. First of all, there's all sorts of, of, of wrong with that sentence, but like what is a 14 year old doing working as a sex worker? And I'm sure he was being trafficked, which is just awful. And the fact that he ran into this, this disturbing man, Mr. Dahmer, lost his life over it. Like that's just horse shit. And I feel so bad for this poor 14 year old child. Like I said in my last video, the Lord says we should forgive, but boy, do they make it difficult. Anyways, 14 year old sex worker, Jeff went up to him and was like, hey, would you pose for nude pictures? I'll give you 50 bucks. Just come over to my place. You don't have to have sex with me. I just want some nude photos and I need a model and you would be perfect. And this young boy, he's like 50 bucks, hell yeah, I'm there. So he, he agrees. So they go back to his grandma's place. Once they get there, they actually uh, engage in sexual intercourse. Jeffrey ends up drugging him. He crushed up a bunch of sleeping pills, put it in his drink, offered it to him and just waited. Once he passed out, that's when he strangled him and he killed him. Jeffrey left this young victim in the basement of his grandmother's house for a week. And then when he got the chance, 
He dismembered and discarded his body in the trash, except for, again, his skull. Jeffrey just really wanted a skull, a trophy. Jeff does the same thing, but again, he made the the bones too brittle and it didn't work and he had to just throw away the skull. Jeffrey was bummed because like, he's like, damn it, I really wanted to keep the skull. Jeffrey was kind of experimenting, trying to find this right formula that way he could again, keep the skull. Now on March 24th, 1994, this is a side note, just really quickly. Have you noticed that like March kind of seems like to be the month when a lot of these things take place. Is it just me who's noticing that? Something's going on. Obviously something's going on, Bailey. March always comes up. Back to the story. March 24th, 1988. Jeffrey now meets a 22 year old man outside of a gay bar. Jeff asks, hey, I'll give you $50 if you just come and hang out with me and spend the remainder of the night with me. This 22 year old was like, okay. They go back to um, Jeffrey's grandmother's house again. Same thing, drugs him with a bunch of sleeping pills. And then once he's passed out, he strangles him with a leather strap. This time, though, Jeffrey decided that he wanted to perform oral sex on this victim. And once he was done, bitch, what is he doing? This guy is so fucking weird. This victim though was dismembered within 24 hours of his murder. This time Jeff was quick about it, okay? And once again, with the the remains, he disposed the bones, he crushed them up, puts them in the trash, keeps the skull. This time though, it's said that Jeffrey didn't really want this guy's skull. So instead of trying to boil it and keep it, he ended up just um, crushing it up and throwing it away. Jeffrey Lehner said that he didn't find this victim very attractive and that's why he didn't really wanna keep the skull. So why'd he kill him then? I practice? I'm not sure. So many questions. April 23rd, Jeffrey lured another young man to his house. However, this time after giving this victim drugged coffee, both he and the victim heard Jeffrey's grandmother calling down towards him because they're in the basement. His grandma is yelling like, Jeffrey, is that you? This obviously freaked him out and he tried to play it off as if he was there by himself, as if he didn't have a guest with him. But his grandma knew that someone was with him because she heard, she heard it. So she knew that someone was with him. So he's like, okay, I can't kill this guy because my grandma knows that I've got someone down here. Jeffrey had already drugged this victim and the victim was unconscious. So he ends up carrying him out to the car and then he drugs drives the victim to the county general hospital, just drops him off and then leaves. That victim is so lucky, you know? In September of 1988, Jeffrey's grandmother asked him to move out of her house because of his habit of bringing young men to her home late at night. And she also said like, there's just some really foul smells coming from both the basement and the garage and it must be your stuff. I don't like it. It's bothering me. It's like she was so close to stopping this. If she just would have went down to the basement, we could have ended this grandma. We could have stopped this, but she didn't. And I mean, I don't blame her by any means, but you know, like bummer. 
So she asks him to move out. He ends up finding a one bedroom apartment on September 25th. He ends up moving out. And I'm not even kidding you. The next day, Jeff was arrested. What was he arrested for? Well, he actually got caught. He lured a 13 year old boy into his apartment. He drugged the young boy. And then he was, what's the word? sexually fondling him, he got caught and he was arrested. And then in January of 1989, he was convicted of second degree sexual assault and of enticing a child for immoral purposes. Sentencing for the assault was suspended until May of 1989, so a few months later. Well, I mean, I guess you could say that Jeff over here didn't last too long on his own. Literally hours after moving out on his own, he ended up getting caught and arrested. Then he ended up moving back in with his grandmother. That's when he would murder his fifth victim, a 24 year old aspiring model who he met at a gay bar on March 25th, 1989. Once again, according to Jeffrey, he was not looking to commit a crime. It's just shortly before closing time, this victim just came up and started talking to him. So Jeffrey just, you know, asked him if he wanted to go back to his grandma's home. The two of them ended up engaging in oral sex and then Jeffrey drugged and strangled him. It just happened. He didn't mean to. The following morning, he ended up placing the corpse in his grandmother's bathtub where he proceeded to cut up the body. He decapitated the body before attempting to take the meat off the bones. He stripped the flesh from the body. He crushed up the bones. Um, he disposed it again in the trash. He kept the skull. And according to Jeff, he found this victim, quote, exceptionally attractive, end quote, and was the first victim he permanently kept any body parts of. He preserved the victim's head and lower region, the penis, and he put it in acetone and stored them in his work locker. The following year when he ends up moving, he he took these, these items with him. Like he really liked this guy. He was something special to Jeff. At this time, I'm so sorry, I failed to mention, but Jeffrey got a job prior to his arrest at a chocolate factory. I know, who is he, Willy Wonka? What a creep. Not that if you work at a chocolate factory, you're a creep, but like this guy is just such a creep, right? Like he's just a fucking creep. So yeah, he was working and he was making his own money and that's how he was able to afford the apartment on his own in the first place, I apologize. So remember that time I mentioned that Jeff got caught doing things with a 13 year old boy? His sentencing was postponed until May. Well, May 23rd, 1989. That's when his sentencing takes place. So in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, he's gonna be in jail for a long time for that, right? Of course not. Jeffrey got five years probation and he had a work release permit. That way he could keep his job. He also had to register as a sex offender but like, what the hell does that do? Yeah, whatever. I guess I can't obsess over it. I let these things sometimes like make me very angry because how could you not get angry? And it's just so frustrating, but it is what it is, Bailey. It is what it damn is. So in May, 1990, that's when Jeff moved to his own apartment again. And this time it was um, located on North 25th Street in Milwaukee. It's pretty famous because all of Jeffrey Dahmer's cult following 
followers know this location well, okay? Now, this apartment was located in a very high crime area. The apartment was close to his workplace at the chocolate factory. Come on, that's funny, the chocolate factory. And it was furnished, so awesome. It was $300 per month for his own apartment, which was a steal. He didn't care if there was like high crime or anything, he knew he'd be just fine. Within a week of moving into his new apartment, Jeff was ready to get his sixth victim, who was a 32-year-old male sex worker. Jeff had lured to his apartment with the promise of $50 for sex. He gave the victim a drink laced with seven sleeping pills and then strangled him. The following day, Jeffrey had purchased a Polaroid camera, which he took several pictures, this victim's body in suggestive positions before dismembering him in the bathroom. He boiled the legs, he boiled the arms, he boiled the pelvis in a steel kettle and then rinsed the bones in his sink. He dissolved the remainder of the victim's skeleton in a container filled with acid. Jeffrey later spray painted the skull, which he placed alongside the skull of the previous victim inside a metal filing cabinet. Oh, it keeps going, baby. So June, 1990, Jeffrey lured a 27-year-old acquaintance to his apartment. Same shit, different day. He drugged, he strangled, he placed the victim's skeleton in his freezer for several months in the hope it would not retain moisture. Freezing the skeleton, uh, it didn't remove any moisture and the skeleton of this victim would be put in acid. But several months later, uh, Jeffrey accidentally destroyed the skull uh, when he placed it into the oven to dry, caused the skull to explode. Jeff then met a 22 year old Chicago native and he agreed to come back to Jeffrey's apartment. Jeffrey was like, hey, if you just come back to my apartment and hang out with me, I'll give you $50. So this victim agreed. When they got back to his place, Jeffrey had attempted to perform oral sex on this victim, but Jeff was informed, quote, that'll cost you extra, end quote. This obviously pissed Jeffrey off. At this time, he only had two sleeping pills left and he knew that wasn't enough to knock him out completely. So instead of knocking this victim out, he just cut his throat. He just went right for it. He did it. And sadly, this man led to death. Jeffrey had just gotten this Polaroid camera, remember? And he's all excited about it. He's like, yay, I'm a photographer now. So he poses the victim's body. Again, he poses the body in a very suggestive way. And he takes Polaroid photographs before placing the body in his bathtub for dismemberment. Jeffrey said that while the body was in the bathtub, he repeatedly kissed and talked to the severed head. That's 100% not funny. I'm laughing at the fact that I'm just saying this so like nonchalantly. You know what? We're gonna just continue. So yes, he's repeatedly kissing and talking to the severed head while he dismembered the remainder of the body. So it was like his friend wrapped the heart, the biceps, and portions of this victim's flesh from his legs in plastic bags and then placed them in the fridge for later consumption. Jeff boiled the remaining flesh and organs into a quote, jelly-like substance using again, Soil Soilex, 
which was that chemical um, cleaner. And that was able to help him get the flesh off of the bones. And then he painted and coated the skull with enamel. He's creating like his own little museum. On September 24th, Jeff lured another victim to his place. But Jeff said that this time he wasn't attracted to this victim. So instead of keeping any of the body parts, AKA the skull, he instead just photographed the dismemberment process and then discarded the remains completely. April 7th, Jeffrey encountered a 19 year old guy walking to get his key cut. Jeffrey uh, saw this person, right? And he asked like, hey, you wanna come over to my apartment and just hang out? They go back to the apartment, drugged him again. But this time, as if it couldn't get worse enough, it gets worse. This time he drills a hole into this victim's skull and he pours acid into it. Now, mind you, this victim isn't dead. This victim was simply knocked out from um, the medication, from the drugs. He's still alive and he drills a hole into his skull. I'm not kidding you. Is that not disturbing? Because it really is. According to Jeffrey, this victim woke up after he drilled a hole into his head. He wakes up. He fucking wakes up. He wakes. Do you know that? He wakes up the fuck? Jeffrey was kind of excited about this because that's what he wanted. He was hoping to induce a permanent, unresistant, submissive state. Somebody who's still alive. Someone that he could control and keep around. And if he could do this and achieve this, that would be his like ultimate goal. So this victim wakes up and it makes him excited because he's like, oh my God, it worked. Oh my God, it worked. Jeffrey says that the victim said, quote, I have a headache what time is it, end quote. So he didn't even know that he had a hole in his head, which honestly, good. You don't wanna know. In response to this, uh, Jeffrey again was like, okay, I need to drug him again. He needs to go back to bed, go Mimis. This time he strangles him. And then he decapitated and retained his skull. I'm not quite sure why um, he ended up killing him because he wanted to have a victim who was still alive, easy to control and keep and whatever. Now this time he really wanted to keep the skull because it had a hole through it. So he's, you know, using cold water and he's using a, a little bit of salt in the water for several weeks and like letting it soak in hopes to permanently keep it. It didn't work though, so he had to discard it again. In 1991, there were fellow residents in the apartment complex. They were repeatedly complaining to the manager that there was foul smells coming from Jeffrey's apartment. And on top of that, they also complained that there was like sounds of falling objects and occasionally a chainsaw. So of course people are complaining, there's a smell, chainsaw. So they're calling the manager, letting them know. So the manager contacts Jeffrey, doesn't go see him in person, of course, just calls him up on the phone and he says, hey, you know, other people are um, complaining that there's a smell coming from your place. And Jeffrey was like, yeah, well, my freezer broke. All the food inside of it, it just became spoiled and that's why they're smelling this. The manager was like, oh, okay, yeah. So just get that cleared up. You know, people are complaining, blah, blah, blah. Hang up the phone, click. Like a week or two goes by and the manager calls him again. And he said, bring, bring, hey, so your neighbors are still complaining that there's a smell coming from your apartment. Like I thought you had cleared this up. And Jeffrey said, said that, oh my God, you don't understand, several of my tropical 
fish had died and it's causing this horrendous smell and that's what it is. And the manager's like, okay, just get it fixed up. What about that chainsaw? And then Jeffrey's like, what chainsaw? If the manager would have just have simply gone there. Actually, it's probably better for his safety if he didn't, but definitely should have had someone go by. Anywho, so on the afternoon of May 26, 1991, Jeffrey found another 14 year old boy and offered him money to hang out with him at his apartment. Jeffrey said that the boy was initially pretty reluctant to go with Jeffrey. So finally this boy's feeling, I guess, I don't wanna say comfortable enough cause I can't speak on his behalf, but he ends up going back with Jeffrey to his home and the boy ended up posing for some pictures and then Jeff drugged him. The poor boy passed out. Jeffrey now getting creative with his whatever the fuck he's doing. Again, he takes a drill and he drills a single hole into the victim's skull. And again, he injected hydrochloric acid into the frontal lobe. This victim is technically still alive. Jeffrey had led this boy into his bedroom. In his bedroom, the body of a victim he had killed three days earlier was laying naked on the floor. The boy sees this before he passes out. He sees this, he kind of panics, but then he gets dizzy and then he falls unconscious. While this boy was just kind of laying there, Jeffrey drank several beers while laying next to him. And then for some odd reason, uh, Jeffrey takes off. He leaves his apartment and he goes to a local bar to have a drink. And then after that, he purchases more alcohol at a liquor store and then comes back to his apartment. When he comes back to his apartment, it's pretty like still early in the morning. He's walking back and sees outside of his apartment is that young boy and he's sitting outside naked on the corner of the street. Now there were three young women surrounding him and they were asking him like, are you okay? What's the matter? Hello, like to this young boy. Boy, but he can't think, can't answer. And they're trying to like get some answers from this, this boy that they, they found on the street. So Jeffrey sees this and he's like, oh shit. So Jeffrey goes up to the trio, the three of them. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is my friend. He's drunk, don't worry. I know him. We're just gonna go back to my apartment. He tries to grab the young boy and takes him back to the apartment. But these women just have, you know, that gut feeling that something's not right. They had already called 911. They were trying to get Jeffrey to stop, delaying him from going back to the apartment with the young boy. So police pull up. Oh yeah, baby, police pull up. And Jeffrey told them that the young boy was his 19 year old boyfriend and that he drank too much alcohol. And the police seemed to not question any further. For good reason, this upset one of the women who called 911. She was like, no, 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 something's not right here. One of the women actually pulled an officer aside and she tried to tell them that this young man was bleeding from like his back here, like his butt. He had struggled when Jeff was trying to get him back to the apartment. And she was just expressing how she felt like something is going on. And the officer told a woman to quote, butt out, shut the hell up and to not interfere, end quote. Great. The police officer said, this is between them. It's not your problem. Don't worry about it. Run along. Poor women are just trying to do the right thing and so the officers ended up like covering the young man with a towel. They walk him back to Jeff, Jeffrey's apartment. Jeffrey's still trying to prove to the officers that this young man is like his lover. Um, he showed them the Polaroids that he had taken of him, trying to prove like, see, this is my boyfriend. He lets me take like sexy pictures of him. And then the officers, you know, they leave the home and they tell Jeff, 
to just take good care of, of his lover. Oy vey. So once the police officers had left his apartment, Jeff once again had injected hydrochloric acid into this young, young victim's brain. This time though, it killed him. Okay, hold on. This is definitely too much. So the following day, Jeffrey had called out of work because he really wanted to devote his day to dismembering two bodies that he had in his home at that time. So he was like, I can't come in today. Like I'm sick. Jeffrey would lure three more men, kill and dismember them in the same way he did with his previous victims. He would call out from work to dedicate his time to dismembering his victims, which eventually led to Jeffrey getting fired. Because of that, he said that it made him kill and dismember another victim. On July 22nd, 1991, Jeffrey approached three men um, with an offer of $100 to accompany him to his apartment to pose for some nude photographs, drink beer, and simply keep him company. One of the trio was a 32-year-old man and he agreed. He was like, okay, sure, I could use a hundred bucks. So he goes back to Jeffrey's home. And this victim said that instantly when he walked in the door, he got a whiff of just like a foul smell. And then he noticed several boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor. And he's like, hey, so yeah, what's that all about? You know, cause I mean, who just has that shit laying around? Maybe you do, a little suspicious, you know? So he's asking, what's that all about? And Jeff told him, oh, I use it to clean bricks. Okay, uh-huh. So the two of them go into uh, Jeff's bedroom and there in the bedroom was a 57 gallon drum in the corner, which the victim said there was this smell definitely coming from this drum. Jeff then placed his head on the victim's chest, kind of like in a romantic way, but instead he was holding out a knife. So not very romantic. Jeff said, I'm going to rip your heart out. Of course, the victim's like, what the fuck, man? And he freaks out. Now at this point, the victim, he just knew like some shit's about to go down. There's weird smells. There's suspicious boxes. This dude is just fucking weird. He's gonna rip my my heart out. I gotta get, you know? And this victim was kind of like looking around trying to plan his escape. And he's like, okay, there's windows around. I could try and like jump out of a window. I could just run right out the front door or I could just wait. And this victim knew if I wait, I'm gonna die. Like there's no waiting. So he's trying to think, oh, fuck, what do I do? Maybe if I go to the bathroom, I could like jump out the, the window in the bathroom. This victim asked Jeffrey, like, can may I use your restroom please? And he goes in there, no window. So he's like, fuck. So he comes back out. They're hanging out in the living room at this point. Now, when they're hanging out in the living room, the victim again is like, hey, can I use your bathroom one more time? Not sure what his thought process was at this point, but whatever, at least he's he's trying to do something, right? So he goes back to the bathroom. Now at this point, when he comes back out, he sees like Jeff isn't really fully paying attention. He just punches him in the face as hard as he can. And then he runs out the front door. At 11.30 p.m., the victim, he flagged down two Milwaukee police officers. He's like, hey, this dude just like fucking tried to attack me. There's some fucking weird ass shit going on over there. And this victim had handcuff, a handcuff on his wrist. Now I failed to mention that at some point when the victim went to Jeffrey's home, the victim wasn't paying attention. He was kind of looking the other way and Jeffrey had placed a handcuff on his wrist and he was going to handcuff him. But the victim was like, what the fuck are you doing? Jeffrey was like, like, well, you know, I thought we could hang out. He couldn't get the handcuff 
off. So he was still wearing it when he ran out of Jeffrey's home. So when he finds these police officers, he's like, you gotta come over with me. And he shows them he has um, a handcuff. And he's like, can you get these handcuffs off of me? So they try to use their own key to try to get the handcuff off. But because it's like a, an off brand, the keys didn't fit. Police officers were like, well, let's just go down to Jeff's apartment and get the key so we can get these off. When the officers and the victim arrived to Jeff's house, you see the victim felt safe enough to go back to Jeffrey's home because the two police officers were with him. So they all go to Jeffrey's house. Jeff invited the trio inside and acknowledged he had indeed placed the handcuffs on him, although he offered no explanation as to why he had done so. Jeff told one of the officers that the key to the handcuffs was in his bedroom dresser. So they all walked to the bedroom. Jeffrey's kind of like trying to box him out, like, I'll get the key, I'll get the key trying to get to the key before them, but instead police officers are like, get out of our way, we'll get them. And this is when one of the police officers saw the dresser drawer. It was open and guess what? It contained many Polaroid pictures, many of which were just human bodies in various stages of dismemberment. Upon further inspection, they see that the decor in the background of these Polaroid pictures indicated to them that they had been taken in the very apartment in which they were standing. The police officer had taken some of the Polaroids, walked into the living room to show his partner. These are for real. When Jeffrey saw that the police officer was holding several of his Polaroids, he fought with the officers in effort to resist arrest because they were trying to put him in handcuffs while they searched the rest of his home and called a second squad car for backup. At this point, one of the officers, they open up the refrigerator and they see like a freshly severed head of a male on the bottom shelf. It's one thing to like see the Polaroid pictures and then to open up the refrigerator and just see a head staring at you. I feel so bad because you know these officers have gotta be really fucked up. Then they do a more detailed search of the apartment. When they're searching the apartment, they reveal a total of four severed heads in Jeffrey's kitchen. A total of seven skulls. Some were painted, some were found in Jeffrey's bedroom, inside a closet. There were just like skulls and body parts kind of just scattered in random places. Surprise at every corner. They also found two human hearts and a portion of an arm muscle, each wrapped inside a plastic bag in the bottom shelf of the fridge. Jeffrey's freezer investigators discovered an entire torso, plus a bag of human organs and flesh stuck to the ice at the bottom of the freezer. Throughout the apartment, investigators discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, a mummified scalp, and in the 57 gallon drum, remember it was in the bedroom, three further dismembered torsos were dissolving in acid solution. A total of 74 Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment of Jeffrey's victims were found. Obviously, Jeffrey was arrested. On July 23rd, 1991, Jeffrey was brought in for questioning. He's already been arrested. He's been sitting in prison. They bring him in. They got to question him. You know, what the fuck's going on with you, bro? Jeffrey had admitted to investigators to having 
murdered 16 young men in Wisconsin since 1987. And on January 30th, 1992, his trial began for the 15 counts of first degree murder. The trial had lasted two weeks and Jeff was sentenced to life imprisonment plus 70 years. The death penalty was not an option because the state of Wisconsin had abolished capital punishment in 1853. So he was just gonna spend the rest of his life in prison. Personal opinion here, 100% personal opinion. I don't like the death penalty. I like the thought of people who've done awful things. I like I don't like it. I like the idea of them being miserable in prison for the rest of their lives versus getting an easy way out, you know? Like when you get the death penalty, you get like injected with something and then you die. No, not on my watch. You go there, you sit and you suffer. I think that's the best punishment. Sorry, not sorry, but it's a personal opinion. Thank you so much. <laughs> Jeffrey had spent the first year of his incarceration in solitary confinement due to concerns for his physical safety amongst his fellow inmates. People were threatening him. People wanted him dead. He then was transferred to a less secure unit after a year. On the morning of November 28th, 1994, Jeff was found on the floor of the bathrooms of the gym suffering from extreme head and facial wounds. He had been beaten in the face and head with a 20 inch metal bar and it seemed his face had also been slammed against the wall during his assault. When he was found, Jeff was technically, he was still alive, okay? And he was rushed to a nearby hospital but was pronounced dead one hour later. There was a fellow inmate who was serving a life sentence, he is the one who actually attacked Jeff. And authorities had asked him, hey man, like why did you attack Jeff? He said that him, the killer, Jeffrey, and then another inmate, the trio, they were sent to go clean the staff locker room together. And normally an officer watches you to make sure something like this doesn't happen. But for a split second, an officer left. From my understanding, I think the officer was in on it. According to this inmate who killed Jeffrey, when he was beating Jeffrey with a metal pole, Jeffrey didn't make any noise. He didn't say anything. He didn't cry. He didn't even flinch. He just beat him and yeah, he said it was weird. When they asked him like, why did you do it? This inmate said, quote, God told me to do it. End quote. Not only did this inmate kill Jeffrey, but he also killed another inmate who was cleaning with them. Again, he said God told him that he needed to do it. A lot of people were very happy about it when they heard that he was murdered, but inside the prison, a lot of the guards were very upset because at the end of the day, like murder is murder. You know, it was like a big deal. It was a very big deal. And plus a lot of people wanted him dead though. So to think that he was gonna like actually be fine. So he died. This guy was just really fucked up, you know? Jeffrey's mother had passed away in the year 2000 and his father retired. Father ended up writing a book about his experience and his life with Jeffrey. Jeffrey's younger brother, remember his name was David? He ended up changing his last name and he wants nothing to do with it. So don't even look him up and I don't blame him. He wants, don't, he's like, don't involve me. I want nothing to do with this shit. Good for him. And that, my friends, is a story about Jeffrey Dahmer. It's a long one, right? I lost my voice. So sad. There were so many victims who had died a horrible, horrible death at the hands of this gross ass 
dweeb. Sorry, but he's a he's a dweeb. Don't even get me started on the fans. Okay, Jeffrey Dahmer is one of those people who has so many fans. It's disturbing. If any of you guys uh, have Netflix and you haven't watched a show on Netflix called The Dark Tourist, go watch it if you haven't seen it yet. There's this episode about Jeffrey Dahmer and how they have like a tour you can take. This tour takes you around the city to where Jeffrey Dahmer hung out and like shows you the different gay bars he hung out at and then shows you like the apartment complex and where like he left his victims, where he killed his victims. And the main people who like to take these tours are like, bachelorette parties. Yeah, I'm not even kidding you. Look, I get it, like being curious and wanting to go on one of these tours. Like I get it, like, you know, I would want to do it, but bachelorette party, like what the fuck? That should not be allowed, but whatever. On this show, they like ask a couple of women who are taking the tour, like, why are you, are you interested in Jeffrey Dahmer? And the girls are like, oh my God, he's like really good looking, he's handsome. And like, he just loved love. And like trying to romanticize the whole, the whole story is weird. Because first of all, ma'am, he, he wasn't even interested in you. He liked dick. And second of all, he didn't love love. He loved bones and skulls but I just, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. Ugh. There are so many books, there are so many movies, there are so many TV shows that are based off this man's story. Why? They claim he's like one of the worst, but I could think of worse ones. I think truly what captured a lot of people's attention was the fact that he was good looking. We're shallow like that, let's be real here. Same with Chris Watts. Remember the Chris Watts case? I was obsessed with it. I did my very first murder mystery and makeup on the Chris Watts case. People were obsessed with it because he was good looking. Like, let's be honest here. Same with Jeffrey Dahmer. I think he looks like a nerd. <laughs> what can you say? <laughs> I will do Ted Bundy sometime in the future. And I have a list, which is stories in general, that you guys are constantly um, sending my way, which I so greatly appreciate. I appreciate you guys for always recommending stuff. I just appreciate you guys. So thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I hope you have a wonderful day today. You make good choices. Alrighty, have a good day. I'll see you guys later. Bye.